0: So, being the one that is giving the talk on Halloween, (laughs) I thought maybe I should say a little bit about that. Actually, I'm holding it as very auspicious. Um, And really, the only thing that I'll say is that um, this practice of Halloween, which is mostly in the United States, began, was um, part of... um, the pagan following of the Irish when they came to these states. And Halloween is the precursor to All Saints Day, which is tomorrow within the, at least the Catholic religion, maybe other um, iterations of Christianity as well. And um, hollow meaning holy evening. Een, meaning evening. So hollow, een, Halloween, holy evening. That's pretty auspicious, no matter how you slice it. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to just, because we're all here, turn off the lights for a few, but they're coming back on. These eyes cannot deliver this talk in the dark. So, but... We should have this experience because the staff, the love, the energy. We were in the staff dining room um, the other day when you all were working on it, when they were working on it, and there was so much joy. And one of the reasons. So I told you about Halloween. So jack o' lanterns, um, also originating out of that that um, out of Ireland and Scotland were carved to ward off or scare away the evil spirits. So I think we're well protected from Mara (laughs) this evening. And in addition to the uh, scary faces, I saw a rose and I saw this and I saw that. So... Later on, after it's all said and done, if you haven't, take a walk around and absorb some of that energy, some of that heart energy that they wished for us. So no better night than tonight to talk about the hindrances. (laughs) Yeah. My colleagues, when we were going over what we were going to talk about and when we were going to talk about it, I was a stand for, like, let it stew for a while. Like let people have an opportunity to really understand intimately in terms of the experiential component in the body. Of the hindrances, not the intellectual, cognitive understanding of the hindrances. So here we are, exactly a week after we began. Yeah. So I call the talk um, "Bring It On." Happiness awaits. <laughs> and that's how I hold the hindrances, welcoming them. Because when the hindrances shows up and show up, and you notice it, that means your practice is alive and well and forward-moving. Nothing to uh, resist or cry about. It's like, come on, bring it. I'm here, and I'm ready. You know, maybe coming out of the ancestry that I come out of, I'm not interested in being enslaved to anything, (laughs) whether it's external or internal. And that's how I hold it. So head and heart together... When we can get our head and our hearts to respect each other, they can take each other far. Our hearts need the help of our head to generate and act in more skillful ways. Our head needs our heart to remind us that what's really important in life is putting an end to suffering. When they learn how to work together, they can make our human mind into an unlimited Brahma mind, and more. They can master the causes of happiness to the point where they transcend themselves, touching an uncaused dimension that the head can't encompass and the happiness so true that the heart has no further need for desire. The Buddha said, Faith is the beginning of all good things. From Sharon Salzberg, No matter what we encounter in life, it is faith that enables us to try again, to trust again, to love again. Even in times of immense suffering, it is faith that enables us to relate to the present moment in such a way that we can go on. We can move forward instead of becoming lost in resignation or despair. Faith links our present day experience, whether wonderful or terrible, to the underlying pulse of life itself. We all have the absolute right to reach out without holding back towards what we care about more than anything. Whether we describe the recipient as God or a profound sense of indestructible love or the dream of a kinder world, it is the act of offering our hearts in faith that something in us transforms and what may have been merely a remote abstraction flames into life. I thought that, you know, I'm giving a talk on hindrances, but um, Bonte was pointing to it last night and um, Shelley will be sharing um, with us tomorrow some more in relationship to faith. But this road, the courage, the journey... Of the, I kind of think of like what what we're doing, you know. So there's like astronauts that go to space and discover things and don't know what. Like we're in inner space, inner (laughs) knots. I thought that was clever, inner knots, discovering this landscape. Yeah, Uh, this body, this millions of microbiomes that you all were talking about. It's incredible. But there are points, especially as we um, move along the way but haven't quite arrived yet at freedom, where we can lose faith, we can lose hope. It seems like nothing that we're engaged with is moving us in the direction we want to go. At every moment, we have the opportunity to choose whether to embrace wholesomeness or unwholesomeness, to employ skillful means or unskillful means. (laughs) We are not helpless, passive bags of air, fire, water, and earth. We are not pawns moved by greater forces, and our experiences do not happen to us on predetermination. In this moment, we choose, and then in the next moment, we experience the results of that choice, along with any continuing effects of past choices. A skillful choice in this moment sets up a good or healthy mental environment for happiness in the next moment. If the previous moment was relatively clean and clear, the current one will be too. With the continuous cultivation of clear, healthy moments, we experience increasing moments of happiness and freedom. With good mental habits developing second by second, these seconds eventually add up to make longer moments of happiness. Our lives are created out of these tiny little choices. Billions of them happening in just seconds. So we make choices. We make choices to cultivate skillful means. When we are not clinging to what we want, life becomes much easier. Although the events of life may be painful to bear at times, we can accept the pain without adding suffering. Rather than demanding that things turn out the way we want them to, we can surrender to life, even though it often fails to deliver what we would hope. As a result, we can be at peace with ourselves in the present moment. And we can move towards our goals without contraction. The Buddha's instruction to abandon clinging translates into caring without demanding, loving without imposing conditions, and moving towards our goals without attachment to outcome. Approaching goals with this attitude or state of mind allows us to care, to interact, and to take action in our work, in our relationships, and in the greater world, and still have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart our life becomes based on being in the moment rather than on the outcome of that moment. Being fully present in the moment becomes a most essential value and the orientation of our lives. It allows us to be in the world of goals and actions without being defined by it. It is a major foundational step towards liberating the mind. Clinging is suffering. Clinging to what we want is like being caught in a vice or a swamp. The Buddha, it is said, said, one who knows clinging and non-clinging knows all the Dhamma. With this awareness, we can use skillful effort to make new choices. The Buddha urged everyone to choose wholesome mental states over unwholesome ones and to cultivate wholesome mental states moment by moment until the unwholesome ones stop returning. We do this the Buddha said, by continually rousing ourselves, making every effort, storing up energy and exerting mind. I think it was Tawari in her talk on effort, on skillful effort, spoke about this practicing of effort, which is the sixth step of the Eightfold Path. And the Buddha explains more precisely how to direct our efforts by breaking the process down for us into four parts. First, with strong determination, commitment, and energy, we do whatever we can to prevent, I looked up prevent in the dictionary, to keep something from happening or arising. First, With strong determination, commitment, and energy, we do whatever we can to prevent the arising of painful, unwholesome states of mind, such as resentment, jealousy, or greed. Just like we brush our teeth to hold on to them. Yeah? My mom's 99. She still has all her teeth. Religiously, intentionally committed to brushing her teeth and going to the dentist six months you know, every six months to make sure nothing's happening. 99, that's commitment and intention. (laughs) Yeah. Also to recognize, yeah, that it's a privilege to have access to prevention and choice. Until there is freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion, however, some unwholesome mind states are going to sneak in, despite our best efforts. We then make the second effort, rousing ourselves to overcome whatever unwholesome states have been taken hold. Thirdly, we replace these states with wholesome ones, such as loving thoughts, ideas of generosity, or feelings of compassion. Finally, we exert effort to cultivate further these healthy, wholesome mental states. The more we make these efforts, the clearer and freer of pain our minds become, and the more happiness we experience as the natural result. Accomplishing anything requires effort. This is true in everyday activities, and it is even more true in relationships to spiritual endeavor. Skillful effort is woven into every step of this path. When we study the Buddhist message with the four kinds of effort, making the mind wholesome, clear, and able to comprehend, we can achieve skillful understanding of the path to freedom. In fact, making a strong effort to discipline ourselves is about half the battle. Without a powerful effort to achieve wholesome states of mind, we won't get far. We won't get far towards reaching the happiness we seek. One of the main impediments to clear seeing and non-clinging is what the Buddha described as the hindrances. The hindrances cloud the mind and prevent us from knowing the cause of our suffering. What we have all experienced to some degree or the other, or at one time or another, we are hampered in our ability often to remain mindful, to develop concentration, and to have clear insight. Monte spoke about this quite a bit last night. To let go of our unwholesome mind habits, we need to recognize them. What we want to eliminate are any states of mind that block us from experiencing happiness, joy, ease, and peace. If we want to weed a garden, we have to be able to distinguish the weeds from the flowers. And this cultivation, this accessing, this development of experiencing happiness, joy, ease, and peace doesn't wash out, doesn't negate that there is chaos, that there is trouble, that there is difficulty. But believe it or not, and I said this to one of, I don't remember who I said it was, but one of um, our sangha, it's a much different experience to approach uh, difficulty, trouble, hardship, while there is a centeredness, a gatheredness, a joy, an ease, and peace. Than then to be discombobulated all over, the, that just increases the intensity of the experience and actually places you in a position where you are unable to make wise choices about action or non-action. The same is true here. At the beginning, we find our mental gardens choked with weeds. We identify and remove unwholesome qualities such as anger and replace them with useful, skillful qualities such as loving friendliness. If you think and are committed to recognizing and allowing it to be known, you'll be able to come up with your own list of mental weeds. You'll know that when you're experiencing rage jealousy, lust, vengefulness, you can't simultaneously be happy. Underneath these unskillful states, no matter how they manifest, are the same basic roots. Greed or desire, hatred or aversion, and delusion or ignorance. We can think of greed in combination with ignorance as the root of all mental weeds. These unwholesome mind states prevent us from making any progress in our meditation or from doing things skillfully in our lives. Joseph Goldstein says we can feel empowered overpowered. We can feel overpowered by one or more of the unskillful forces in our mind. A major part of this practice is to cultivate the capacity to successfully relate to these forces and to feel empowered by the success. We want to engage in a balanced way, causing no harm to ourselves or others. It is good to remind oneself, especially when there is difficulty, that we have already taken wholesome action and are cultivating conditions for liberation. Also, the fact that we are drawn to this particular path, the path of awakening, would point to a strong aspiration and intention to being present. Remember that. Some of you have been here for seven weeks. Others of you are here planning on being here for six weeks. Remember that. Who does that? (laughs) And what does it take in terms of listening to the heart and mind to follow that impulse to land in this place, at this time, in this moment, on this journey. The hindrances can be prevented by concentration or by steady mindfulness. Thus, all the practice in cultivating mindfulness. Mindfulness or concentration cool the hindrances down and overcome them when they have arisen. When the mind lacks any hindrances, it automatically becomes bright, luminous, and clear. Such a mind is receptive to the development of wholesome states, to concentration, and to the ability to see clearly into the impermanent nature of things like to wear my Pali is not so great, so I'm going to um, attempt this, but please know that it may not be exactly how it's pronounced. The first hindrance is sensual desire, or kamachanda, which is the mind simply wanting something pleasurable. The second is ill will, or vayapada, in which the mind is filled with dislike. The third, tinamita, is sloth and torpor, in which the mind is either too sleepy or too apathetic to see clearly. The fourth, restlessness and worry, or udacha kukucha, is when the mind is too anxious to be able to stay steady. The fifth, and considered by many to be the most difficult hindrance, is skeptical doubt, vikicha, in which one lacks the faith in oneself to stay mindful of what is truly, really true and to act skillfully. I called out the mother of all hindrances, because it stops us from ever beginning to let loose of clinging. Doubt freezes the mind and undercuts our ability to cope with all the other hindrances. They can be experienced singularly or multiple hindrances, which is often called or sometimes known as hindrance attack. A few of those have shown up in my room upstairs on the second floor. When the mind isn't obscured by hindrances, attachment doesn't arise. And our mind is willing to just be with what is. One is not caught in wanting anything, wanting to become anything, or wanting to get rid of anything. Most of us, or even all of us, have undoubtedly experienced this free state numerous times in our life already, but if we're not mindful when it is occurring, the impact is minimal. Through mindfulness, one feels its wholesomeness and are drawn to do the things that encourage its arising more often. In those moments in which our minds are free from hindrances, we are not in a reactive state. We see things more clearly and have access to intuitive wisdom. Although the three types of desire still arise, one is not drawn to them. They do not define our existence. They are merely characteristics of our mind state ever-changing as they arise and pass. This is also as true of worthy desires as it is for unworthy ones, and we can become obsessed with them and deluded that there is clear seeing. The hindrances will enrich our lives. Some have called them the manure for enlightenment, and some teachers have called them mind weeds, which we pull up, and bury near the growing plant for nourishment. Our practice is to use all that arises within us for growth of understanding, compassion, and freedom. The difficulties we encounter in practice become part of the fullness of meditation, a place where we can learn and open the heart. Our attention is pulled in many directions other than where we wish it to land and interferes with our effort to meditate. Even when we have the best of intentions to stay focused and present, these forces can propel us into states of preoccupation and distracted thinking. The good news is these forces and challenges offer an opportunity for the deepening of practice. And development of skill as meditators and are not bad distractions or personal failings. It is a part of the path of practice to be mindful of them. These forces can serve us by forming the basis for cultivating awareness and wisdom. It is a necessary progression of practice to investigate the forces of distraction and agitation with the utmost care and honor, for they lay before us the opportunity to break through the cloud of confusion and reactivity in our minds in which we frequently dwell. We must understand their true nature and how they work, as it is much easier to find freedom from something when we know it. Sooner or later, all of us will have to address the hindrances. Often, it is sooner and later because of how frequently they occur. These obstructing mind states should not be viewed as unfortunate occurrences, but rather as an opportunity to strengthen mindfulness, concentration, understanding, and non-clinging. Without dedication to working with the hindrances. One can be derailed from practice. These five hindrances or workings of the mind hinder our ability to see clearly and our capacity to develop a stable, concentrated mind. Sensual desire. The mind wanting something pleasurable, grasping after sense objects. It keeps the mind looking outward, Searching after this object or that in an agitated and unbalanced way. Sensual desire can be for food, comfort, physical and sexual experiences. Sounds, smells, sights and other sense pleasures. It is the very nature of sense desires that they can never be satisfied. There is no end to the seeking Living without wants, wishes, motivations, or aspirations is impossible. However, to approach freedom, we must emphasize skillful desires and distinguish the healthy, useful desires from the unhealthy ones. We become wise about harmful desires and understand the more we value freedom and its pleasures the more likely freedom guides us in deciding which desires or aspirations we allow to guide our lives. Ill will or aversion. The mind is filled with dislike. The condemning mind, anger, fury, resentment, hatred, annoyance, aversion, irritation, vexation, loathing, spite, resistance, avoidance, criticalness, boredom, complaining, grudge, and fearfulness. Who wants any of that? (laughs) It is the mind that strikes against the object and wants to get rid of it. As Bhante said last night, using some of the verbalizations, the mind is burning with desire or burning up. Wisdom is acquired through familiarity, and one of the tasks in mindfulness practice is to become familiar with the hindrance. With ill will, this requires a willingness to shift attention away from whatever we are hostile towards. And instead, turn it towards the experience of ill will itself. It can be useful to be mindful of it in a non judgmental and non reactive way. It can also be helpful to hold the ill will in our focus without acting on it or pushing it away, being mindful of how ill will feels physically. Examine the beliefs that underlie the ill will? How do we believe aversion will be beneficial or justified? What assumptions do we believe about how things are supposed to be? What might ill will be covering? Frustrated desire, fear, embarrassment? With no aversion to aversion, Mindfulness can make us independent of aversion. The hurt of aversion can lead us to a deeper sense of strength and love. Sloth and torpor. The mind is sleepy or too apathetic to see clearly. Sluggish, laziness of mind, a mind that is heavy or dull. Sloth and torpor can arise from the absence of desire and aversion. The lack of stimulation that accompanies constant desire and aversion can be deflating and even depressing. Sloth and torpor are forces in the mind that drain vitality and limit effort. Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. The body may feel heavy, lethargic, weak. When this hindrance is strong, there is not even enough mindfulness to know we have fallen into it. Sloth and torpor refers to low energy states related to an attitude that we are holding. Discouragement, frustration, boredom, indifference, giving up. Hopelessness and resistance are some of the mind states that cause sloth and torpor. Although sloth and torpor may be present, it does not mean that energy is not available, but just that we're not accessing it. Our evaluations and reactions lead to lethargy. Learning how to mindfully watch our thoughts instead of actively participating in them, can effectively stop them from draining our energy. Now, if I had given this talk five days ago, um, I would have added in here, and it may even still be true for some of us now, uh, sometimes sloth and topper is not sloth and topper. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes it's that these bodies have been accumulating so many hits out there that it needs time to restore. My husband was on a retreat with Bonte many years ago. must have been, I don't know, 10 years ago, a very long time ago. And he was really struggling. My my husband's a sloth and torpor person. (laughs) He would love that I said that. And he was in there... Um, having his meeting with Bonte and whatever he was saying to Bonte, Bonte said, "Go take a nap," Aww. and he took a nap, and it shifted his whole rest of his retreat. So, really tuning in, really allowing awareness to see things clearly, is this that sloth- and I guarantee you, if you go take a nap. And ten minutes after you're laying there, your eyes are wide open and you're staring at the ceiling and you're thinking about, oh, maybe I should get up. This is not really (laughs) right. Probably was sloth and (laughs) toffer. So pay attention. Pay attention. Restlessness and worry. The mind is too anxious to stay steady. Regret, agitation, jumping from one object to another without any Mindfulness a state of over-excitement. What are some of the causes and conditions that give rise to restlessness? Too much screen time, the internet, phones, all contribute to an increased sense of restlessness. It can be useful to cultivate contentment, breathe through the restlessness for calming, Releasing tension or constriction by breathing can be relaxing. Remember, relax, 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 (laughs) relax. (laughs) The more attention given to breathing, the less attention is available to fuel restlessness and worry, dissatisfaction, Frustrated desire and pent-up aversion are also common causes of agitation. Being mindful of the cause is helpful and not the agitation. When pain is the cause of restlessness, the pain should be addressed. When thinking is a big part of restlessness, it can be useful to relax the thinking muscle. It is also important to have enough exercise at whatever pace and level you're able to, to get enough sleep, to have good nutrition, because lack thereof can encourage restlessness. Underlying restlessness, there can be a source of spaciousness and peace. Doubt, skeptical doubt a lack of faith that you can stay mindful of what is true and to act skillfully. Doubt is a string of words in the mind that often are associated with subtle feelings of fear and resistance. What am I doing here? Why did I come? I can't do it. It's too hard. Maybe I should try some other practice. Doubt freezes the mind and undercuts our ability to cope with all the other hindrances. When we become mindful of doubt as a thought process, when we can note doubting, doubting, and we do not become involved with the content, a transformation occurs. Doubt becomes the source of awareness. Doubt distances us from the present moment so bringing mindfulness can be helpful in shifting from doubt. Jack Kornfield talks about two aspects of doubt that are especially difficult. One is the inability of the mind to be focused on anything, the mind running all over the place, considering possibilities, and remains indecisive. This is small doubt. We can work with this by coming fully back to the present moment with as much continuity as we can muster. With a degree of continuity, firmness, and steadiness of mind, gradually confusion will be dispelled. Then there is the great doubt, the deep desire to know our true nature. To know the meaning of love and freedom, who am I? What is freedom? Searching for the end of suffering. This doubt can be a source of energy and inspiration. Although there are seven factors, four are always paired. Gil Franzdahl suggests that one explanation for this is that the paired items represent closely related physical and mental factors. The first two hindrances are related by being opposite qualities, desire and ill will. They are both forms of wanting, although opposite sides of the same coin. Desire seeks to have something, whereas ill-will wants to push something away. In a similar way, the third and fourth hindrances are related by being opposite qualities. They both relate to or involve levels of energy or vitality. Sloth and torpor are low energy states, while restlessness and worry are high energy states. The fifth hindrance, doubt, is not specifically connected to any of the others. However, doubt is often entwined and entangled with any combination of the other hindrances and can and does cast its influence in many ways on our whole being. When the hindrances are strong, we lose our ability to see clearly These hindrances cloud our mind and prevent us from knowing the cause of our suffering. Simile of the pond. Um, I'm a visual learning person, so this was really helpful to me. This is from Joseph's book, The Experience of Insight. All of these hindrances desire... Anger, sloth and torpor, restlessness, doubt, are mental factors. They are not self, just impersonal factors functioning in their own way. A simile is given to illustrate the effect of these different obstructions in the mind. Imagine a pond of clear water. Since desire is like the water becoming colored with pretty dyes. We become entranced with the beauty and intricacy of the color, and so do not penetrate to the depths. Anger, ill will, aversion is like boiling water. Water that is boiling is very turbulent. You can't see through to the bottom. This kind of turbulence in the mind The violent reaction of hatred and aversion is a great obstacle to understanding. Sloth and torpor is like the pond of water covered with algae, very dense. One cannot possibly penetrate to the bottom because you can't see through the algae. It is a very heavy mind. Restlessness and worry are like a pond when windswept, The surface of the water is agitated by strong winds. When influenced by restlessness and worry, insight becomes impossible because the mind is not centered or calm. Doubt is like the water when muddied. Wisdom is obscured by murkiness and cloudiness. If we purify the mind of the hindrances, then the mind is no longer stiff and rigid. It becomes fluid and can be shaped into something beautiful. The hindrances can also be seen as strategies, strategies that we have utilized throughout our life when we are challenged or uncomfortable, in psychological terms, defenses. So they have stood by us. They've gotten us through and actually landed us here. So you can put down the aversion, the misunderstanding of the value that hindrances have served at some point in your life. Much easier to let go when there's ease there. How to deal with this difficult mind states that obstruct us on our journey on the path? Recognize them. See them clearly in each moment. That recognition is the most powerful, effective way of overcoming them. Recognition leads to mindfulness. Mindfulness meaning non-clinging, non-condemning, and non-identifying with the object. Mindfulness is the most effective way of dealing with the hindrances. Remember, all the hindrances are impermanent mental factors. They come and go. They arise and they pass away like clouds in the sky. However, when caught in the web of not seeing, we believe that they are fixed and permanent. If we are mindful of them when they arise, and do not react or identify with them, they pass through the mind without creating any disturbance. Ajahn Sumedho says, letting go is leaving things as they are. It does not mean that we annihilate them or throw them away. He goes on to explain how abandoning works. If we contemplate desires and listen to them, we are actually no longer attaching to them. He likens clinging to holding a clock in your hand for a long period of time until it becomes heavy and your arms begin to ache. If he tells you to let go of the clock to relieve your discomfort, he's not telling you to throw it away. It's a perfectly good clock. One that is easy to travel with and keeps good time. Therefore, the clock is not the problem. Your grasping is. Putting the clock down will relieve your arm from cramping, free up your hand, give you more energy for other things. But it wasn't the clock itself that was causing your suffering, only that you did not know to put it down. Often, we are well aware that we are clinging to hot coals and are able to work with releasing them. However, we have a much more difficult time abandoning our clinging to wholesome desires, such as wanting good health. This can bring suffering when the mind is caught in obsession, fear, or compulsion, as often happens around illness. So how do we practice abandoning bringing into bear mindfulness Another thing to remember as we deepen the systemic systematic exploration of our minds in practice it is a fact that those unwholesome qualities of consciousness appear to be appear to be appear to be getting stronger however they are not we are only becoming more aware of them. As practice deepens, we can feel overwhelmed by the multitude of different mental hindrances that arise. We see restlessness, laziness, anger, doubt, greed, conceit, envy, and all the rest. And it sometimes seems that our mind contains nothing but these afflictive emotions. With practice... Mindfulness eventually becomes stronger than the power of the hindrances. Choosing, choosing, choosing. You see, I like three times, right? Mm -hmm. To be mindful of a hindrance is a significant move towards being free of it. One of the most significant turning points in practice with the hindrances is when we choose freedom over being hindered. Ajahn Chah. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Don't accept praise or gain or anything else. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. Thank you for your listening and your kind attention. Let's sit for a moment and just let the words settle. Oh, all the candles, are they still lit? Yeah, they are. healing time finally on my way to yes I bump into all the places where I have said no to my life all the untended wounds the red and purple scars those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin my bones those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again. Where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, Holy 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 Time for some walking, and then some of us will be back for chanting. Have a restful night, All Hallows' Eve.